In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now from Paul's letter to the Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, um, as, as you've heard. The word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which you all knew. Uh, that, that word means coming. Uh, Adventus means coming. Uh, so it makes sense that in Advent we focus on waiting. Um, the liturgical season of Advent, it's a time in which we prepare uh, to, to look forward and wait for the coming of Christ. Uh, and it sort of even jumbled there in the way I said it. There's really sort of three Advents, right, to think about. Um, that, and you've probably heard, the, you've heard them mixed into the service. Um, we, the coming of Christ, uh, as you just heard in the reading from John, the incarnation, the birth of Christ, uh, that's one. Um, there's the, the coming of Christ in our present moment. Uh, the Spirit of God is poured out, and he, God is present uh, with us, with all believers through his Holy Spirit, through the Word, and through the sacraments. And then, um, of course, Christ will come again uh, in the last days, the three Advents. So this is what we do during Advent. Why do we do this? Um, uh, Angel kind of re- referred to it, some of the symbolism that we celebrate. Um, the the liturgical, liturgical calendar, uh, we're not just sort of retelling the story. The church is not just a group of people who like to tell the same stories over and over again um, uh, just because we like them. That we do this because it's a way for us to actually enter in. Um, I, I've heard it said in some of, and I, I'm sorry, I can't recall where. I think it's been said in many places that it's not just that we tell the story, not just that we rehearse it, but that we sort of immerse ourselves in it. It's kind of like immersive theater. Uh, if you've ever been to something like that, it's very uncomfortable. But you, you sort of are invited to be a part of the theater, right? Well, for some people, for the theatrical people here, you're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, but... Uh, that's kind of what the, you can think about the calendar in that way. So we enter into the story, and I'll, and I'll get to how we do that in a, in a minute. Um, the, the backdrop, of course, for Advent, um, for the first Advent, is, is one of darkness. Christ is, enters darkness. Uh, 
Fleming Rutledge has uh, it's my, one of my just go-to lines about Advent. It begins in darkness, she says. Um, and so just think about for a moment that the darkness, that you know the story. What is the darkness that Christ enters into um, in his birth? Think about what's happening in the world right there and what's happening in, in, in redemptive history. You have 500 years of, of what you know, sort of we often call as a silence. There's a gap there where it seems that God has withdrawn. Um, there's silence in the absence of God. Of course, there's also the immediate uh, darkness that you'll see portrayed here on our pageant on the 17th, um, which is the darkness of Roman occupation for the people of Israel, the darkness of being under a brutal dictator, uh, the darkness of, of uh, a genocidal maniac, in which we just heard, lots of those in the Bible. We just heard about one in Exodus. There's another one um, in, in uh, Christ is born uh, in, in that time period, the people are oppressed and God is silent. That's the darkness that Jesus is born into. And, and so um, we enter into that, recalling the world that Christ entered into. And we can rehearse and recall the sorrow and the joy of that, those gospel moments. Um, but, uh, but of course, here's, here's where it becomes immersive theater. Um, darkness is present with us now. We, we experience darkness in our own lives um, in many different ways. Uh, and so, so we enter in. That's the invitation this season. I don't know if you know, um, some of you will watch It's a Wonderful Life uh, this month, and you should if you haven't. It's a great movie. Um, it's le- lead actor in it is Jimmy Stewart, and he does a phenomenal job, his role um, as George Bailey. And part of what happens in the story is George's life kind of falls apart uh, completely. He just goes through all these miserable things that happen to him. Um, and I feel, I feel like I preach now enough that I'm like, did I already say this? You know, I can't can't recall. So forgive me if this is a repeat. But what happens is his life falls apart and um, George, George Bailey and, and Jimmy Stewart has all these scenes where he's just sort of like losing it. You know, it's just, he's just like going to lose his control. Um, and what I found out later is that actually uh, Jimmy Stewart served in World War II. And this was his first big role when he came back. And what, what came out later was that as he was acting, he was actually also, de- like there were real moments of him dealing with his PTSD from the war. Uh, and, and so when you watch that, you're watching a man who's both acting, but also you're seeing a, a visual documentation of somebody wrestling with his own horror from the war. Um, so here, that, that's another invitation. Go watch it. It's really something. But that's, that's what the liturgical calendar does for us. You are being Jimmy Stewart. You're, you're, you're entering in to, to your own darkness, and through the story of Christ and through the darkness there, we get to face our own darkness. Um, so I would just, just think about this for a moment, and I'm gonna actually have you an invitation for you to, to call out some things that, that occur to you, um, and John is gonna, in the back, kinda just jot these things down for us so we can hold on to them through the Advent. But as you think about the darkness you face, what, what, are, you, what are you facing? Uh, darkness comes in many different ways. Some of it's forms of suffering here, there's besetting sins. There's, um, there's a sense that God is absent or distant from you. Um, what, what would you name as a present darkness for you? There's, some of you just have the world's events on your mind. Um, certainly when we heard Becca share, um, if you're grasping for darkness, we, we live in a city that is full of darkness. So let's... Just take a moment and look darkness in the eye. 
And what um, invitation is what? What would yeah? Loneliness. Loneliness. Grief or greed? Grief. Grief. Cancer. Hard hearts. Slowness of change. Anger. Divorce. Politics. Cynicism. War. Infertility. Hopelessness. Violence. Violence. Yep. Mental illness. So I'm going to pause you. That could be our time. We could keep going. Um, and John, if you're able to just, just whenever you have a minute to just put it up. I know John was writing it down for us. Um, we, we enter the story, we face our own darkness. And of course, each one of those titles has specific moments and events and interactions that you face, that you know about. Um, they are not just ideas. Uh, and so, so all of this is a lead up to Advent um, as a theme uh, that, that each week we'll consider a different theme as we face this darkness um, and it's been mentioned this week, um, we face, we want to think about hope. We want to rehearse what does it mean to have hope in the midst of this dark world. Um, thanks, John. You could just leave that for a moment. Um, so, so the invitation, and if, here's what I want you to walk away from this morning, is just the idea that it's possible to be a person of hope because we have a God of hope. And I suspect if you're like me, you just need to get to the fact that it's possible to be a person of hope. We face these things, and it's possible to be a person of hope in the midst of darkness. Um, and we're going to look at under three headings you have in your outline. We're going to look at the basis for hope, how you become a person of hope, and how you persevere. So, so what's the basis of hope, of, of making it possible for us to be a person of hope in the midst of this? Um, it comes in the first passage that, that was read, uh, and John, you could take it down. Thank you. We don't want it to link. Let's give some relief for a moment. Um, uh, how is it, what's the basis of hope? Uh, in that verse 14 of, of, of John 1, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, the, the Christian claim is that the God, God the Father sent the Son, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This, the birth of Jesus is God come in the flesh. It's what we call the incarnation. Jesus incarnates, and he comes with a purpose. Uh, we find out in John 3.17, he comes to save the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. Uh, Jesus comes, he incarnates to defeat the power of evil, the curse of death um, in creation, and offer us new life in his kingdom under his reign. And so that's why, that's what Jesus comes to do. So that's why John describes Jesus' incarnation as a light in the darkness it's why, if you remember, Simeon, when he sees the baby, uh, when he sees Christ as a child, he says he can die in peace because he has seen salvation, the light of revelation for all the nations. Now, the difficulty, of course, of that being the basis of our faith is, is that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. 
Um, and how does a historical event, uh, as wonderful as that seems, give you a basis for hope in the present? Uh, it's especially difficult when you think about what hope is. So let's just define hope quickly. Here's, here's a definition of hope. Um, hope is the joyous anticipation of good that is not yet here. The joyous anticipation of good that is not yet here. So that makes it more difficult to think about something that has happened in the past to give you a basis of hope for something that is yet to come. Um, but if God really has come into the world, if the author has really written himself into the story in order to save us, then, then the past actually reverberates into the present. The past, what God has done in the, in the present, in the past, becomes hope, a basis for hope in the present. It's the basis of our hope. Um, and you, you kind of know this already in your own life. This is how the past interacts with the present and future. Uh, I wonder, have you had anything happen to you in the past that affects your present and future? I, mean, I guess, no, it's not possible. You, ha you have to have had something in your past that has impacted your present and future. Um, it, it's easier sometimes to go to the negative. We, we know this is how trauma works. If you have a traumatic event early in life, um, it, it will certainly impact your present and will dictate the future for you. Um, for people who have been traumatized, even uh, associations, things in the present, become a, a trigger to recall and go back to that previous event, uh, the past affecting the present and also impacts in the future decisions that, that person will make. Um, so trauma works, and many of you know it or have been around it or work with people who have been traumatized. Uh, the incarnation is sort of the, the opposite version of that. Uh, there's a kind of event from our past that doesn't cause you to, to be triggered to fear, but because, because of the incarnation, you can be reverberated to hope. It, it impacts you now in the same way that a past horrible event can be a traumatic experience in the present. Uh, I'll give you an illustration for this. I've been thinking about my own childhood quite a bit lately, um, and I came across two pictures of myself um, that uh, show two different versions of, of my life. So uh, just to give you an idea of how this works, um, and I hope you'll be kind to me here. Um, so, so if you could show the first picture... Um, so that is, that's me with the, um, the, the jumper on, as we would call it, the, uh, the South Pole uh, sweater in the middle there. Um, that's me with my mates, me lads, as we would have said in Ireland. This is in Dublin. Um, and these are four of my best friends. Um, so I don't quite know how old I am in this. What do you, like, I don't know, eight? I don't know. I'm terrible at that, but something like that. Um, that's a good moment. That's a good memory for me. Um, and, and that, I've been thinking a lot about the joy of my childhood. I had a really, I was blessed with a really rich uh, time, particularly in Ireland. You can go to the next picture. So <laughs> that's somewhat later in life. That's after I moved back to the States. Um, and uh, not only the haircut is, is a struggle, but just <laughs> life is a struggle. My, um, I, I seem pretty unhappy. And, and I, and you know, we can all capture pictures of ourselves at different moments. I actually was pretty unhappy at this time in life. Uh, so, 
So it's, it's kind of an accurate picture. And if you knew me then, you're like, yeah, that's, that's who I remember. Um, so here, where's why I show you these two pictures? If you could just flip back one more time, John. Or I'm sorry, Zach. Zach's on the uh, previous picture. Well, that's okay. You get the idea. So, um, yeah, yeah, you'll figure it out. Maybe, I hope we don't have to have that up the whole time, though. But, <laughs> but, but what I wanted to point out is that, see, what that guy needs to know is that the other guy was possible. Right? What, 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 the guy, the, what that younger picture, that younger version of myself, I need to know that, that it's possible in the present and future to have hope. I need to know that I once had that hope and that it's possible for, for the present, right? Yeah, that older version of myself needs to know, hey, you can be this. This is a way of being in the world. And, and so, thank you, take it off. Now, that doesn't do much for any of you, but, but the incarnate, well, that's what the incarnation of Christ does for every human being. You, it is possible. Hope has come into the world. It is possible to be a person of hope because Jesus has come. And that, that event punctuates each and every one of your personal histories. It's a public historical truth. Jesus incarnated in this time and space. And therefore, hope is possible. It's the basis of our hope. Um, and so, so the knowledge of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that perfect love has broken into this time and place. And so that, that's the basis of our hope. Um, it's not a made-up fact. It's a historical truth. And so that means that the kingdom of darkness does not reign because Christ has come and he's ushered in a new kingdom. So that's the basis of hope, brothers and sisters. Um, it's the undeniable historical truth. Jesus came in the flesh as, as God himself to bring a kingdom of hope. You have, to, you have to wrestle with that. That's your basis. Now, that may cause you to, to sit up a bit, um, but, but there's still the question of, of the present moment, the reality that you face now. Um, the incarnation uh, changes historical reality no matter what our response, but, but how do we sort of get inside of that reality? Um, or maybe more pressing, how does that reality sort of get inside of you? If that's the basis of hope, it may still feel like an arm's length. So let's go the next step. Um, the, the, next, the next point on your outline, how do you become a person of hope? Um, the, uh, the Nicene Creed, uh, part of it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, and so now jumping to, to the next passage that was read. Um, Jesus breaks into the darkness. He defeats sin and death. He returns to the right hand of the Father, but he does not leave us as orphans. He does not leave us alone. He comes to us at Pentecost. God, the Holy Spirit, is given. And, and because the Spirit is given, we can become, because we can receive the Spirit, we can become a people of hope in the present. Uh, I want to just focus on verse 13 that's in your outline um, in Romans. And if you've been coming to Bridge for a little bit, this should, you should be surprised by the fact that this is actually memorized in your brain because this has been our brother, Pastor Angelo's benediction for many years. And I, as I was reading, I said, I already have this memorized. That's incredible. Yeah. So thank you for praying this over us for so many, so many times. May the God of hope, and actually, as I was saying it, Angelo, your voice, I couldn't un, 
undo your voice from it. Um, and I was almost tempted to read it the way you read it right there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's easy to, uh, particularly for you modern Western people, uh, to, to think of the Spirit as something abstract. There's a lot of abstract nouns in this passage as well. Um, we can think of the Spirit as sort of an, a fanciful idea. Um, but the claim of your faith, brothers and sisters, is that life, there's more to life than what you can see. Um, the world is not just a machine. People are not just made up of physical matter. And um, we do not just live by bread alone. That is a basic tenet of your faith. Uh, so when you come to believe the good news about Jesus, you also then come to believe that the Spirit who comes from the, the Father and the Son actually dwells in you. It dwells in you. You are a mystic whether you like it or not if you're a follower of Christ. You believe that a Spirit dwells within you. And that, that spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Um, it, the, the spirit is a person. Um, the spirit is referred to throughout scripture. If you notice, what does the spirit do? The spirit is a, it's an, it's a, it, it, the spirit is a comforter, helper. Um, the spirit is given to speak. The spirit teaches. The spirit um, can drive out sin. The spirit searches the deep things of God. Um, the spirit is the full depth of God dwelling within you. The Spirit is not a floating mist. Uh, he is not a sprinkling of God. He's not a third slice of the, of the Godhead. Um, he's a full depth of God. And what does Paul pray? He prays to the, for the Christians in Rome that the Spirit would fill them with joy and peace and that that would then overflow in hope. The word overflow is the same word that describes um, the baskets of food that were overflowing from when Jesus fed the 5,000. That you would overflow with baskets of hope is the image. And that joy and peace and hope would come, up, come to you not by your power, but by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit fills and spills over into hope. And, and so how do you receive the Spirit? Or I, how is the Spirit present to you, I should say? You receive. You receive you receive the Spirit. Um, and that's an important word I want to just think about, right? Button down on that one. You receive. That's how the Spirit comes to you. You receive. Um, you don't conjure the Spirit uh, to give uh, joy, peace, and hope. Um, you don't earn the Spirit by doing a good job today. You can't earn the Spirit today. Uh, he's not for sale. Uh, the Spirit is also is not the zest of, of charisma that certain uh, Christians have. You receive the Spirit, you receive the work of the Spirit um, as a gift to you, and what are you asked to do in the passage? To just trust. You just trust, as you trust and believe. Uh, so just, just for a moment, consider how different that is than um, the default way of your heart. Most of us operate, and the default way of the modern heart is to, is to operate in the opposite direction. Um, you take life by, you get life by taking, not by receiving. Um, peace, think about how people, and how we usually talk about peace, love, and joy, and hope. They are things that are sort of out there to go get, right? Um, 
I've got to find peace today. I've got to go get, I've got to go take, I've got to go create for myself. Um, and, and that's why actually there's so much anxiety. I mean, it's part of the mental health crisis underlying what Becca was talking about is because we live in, in, a, in a culture that believes that I, I create who I am. I have the burden to create my love, my joy, my peace, and my identity. That is an extremely anxious existence. I mean, it's, of course, it's not the only root, of course, what Becca was talking about, but it's there, right? Um, it's vibrating through our culture. You go get those things. And if you don't go get them, then you're out of luck. But the prayer of scripture is trust and receive the overflow. Trust and receive. A life of receiving life is, is a distinct mark of a follower of Jesus. Um, that, that's how you, you begin to become a person of hope. You receive the spirit into your life. You, you have a posture of reception. Uh, just to give you an idea of how this works um, for my own life, uh, and by the way, all metaphors and examples and ways of trying to help you understand the spirit are fraught with peril, okay? So don't, so don't take this too far out to the ends. They're all just, can we get a hint of it, all right? Um, part of my story was, as some of you know, I, I kind of came out of high school in a sad sort of stumbling way, had a 1.9 GPA, did not do well, bad situation. Um, I found myself at Monco, though, uh, after a couple years, um, and uh, I knew that I wanted to do work that required a college degree, so I began to take classes there um, with a mind that I would try to get what I needed in order to, to get a job that I wanted. Um, and I recall sort of doing okay there, but it was still sort of aimless, and what ha ended up happening is I met with an advisor at one point um, to try to plan out the next semester, and, um, and for one reason or another, and this is where, you know how you have those interactions where like, that could have been an angel, I'm just not sure. Um, <laughs> There's angels at Monco, this is my belief. But this advisor just for some reason took an interest in my life. And I mean, you know, there's a level at which she's an advisor, that's kind of her job, right? But, but another level, she, she just encouraged me above and beyond what seemed normal. Um, and she suggested to me that I try the honors program, which to me was not something that was on my radar. And so I said, fine, I'll try. And, and ended up really doing well there. And every step of the way, um, she encouraged me to the point where she then got me to encourage to a transfer out of Monco and just kind of changed the whole tra trajectory of my academic career. And really as a result, the reason why I got into teaching, because I had that back, she, this, what she did was she took an interest and, and put life into me. She gave me a different, a whole different tact and way of thinking about, um, about my studies. So the reason I raise this to you is um, I went into, think about it, I went into this experience with a weak sense of myself, a foggy idea that I needed some sort of schooling um, and, and that I needed to go get it, right? And instead, what I found in that, with that advisor is, is I ended up receiving so much. And, and I went from being a person who had to go try and find my joy and my peace and try to figure out what to do with my life to I was then received, she then became the center of, she became the center of the joy and peace and direction of my life at, at, at that school. Um, the spirit um, works in the same, in a very similar way. It, the spirit becomes the center of joy and peace as you hope 
uh, and hope as you receive from him rather than try to take aim, to take in this life. Um, and th- this is the challenge of Advent, is to believe that if you turn and wait, you really will receive. You really will receive from the God who comes near you. God comes near you. He is after you. He will pour into you, and that will then become the center of your joy and your peace and overflowing hope. Uh, that's a bit of the joy there that I, that I have in the quote there from C.S. Lewis. Um, it's just another way to describe the joy and the, the abundance that we have when we receive God. He says, it's always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. That's the, that's the life of somebody who, who's just trying to go out and find it themselves. Look out, we cry, it's alive. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back. I would have done so myself if I could and proceed no further with Christianity. An impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap, best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband, that is quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back, supposedly, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. This is, we get closer and closer to the Lord and we find suddenly that he has been in pursuit of you. He has been coming after you. He is pouring into you and the call is just to receive from him. So receive the spirit, brothers and sisters. Um, The invitation is to receive from him and you will overflow with hope. So finally, um, finally, uh, how do we persevere? Uh, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He gives us joy and peace and overflowing hope in the present. But how do we persevere? Um, how, do we, how do we continue to have a joyous anticipation of the good, even in the face of the darkness that we looked at? Um, uh, this, this is sort of... Um, the, and and we'll, we'll do this quickly here. The, the, the paradox of knowing the Spirit is that um, the Spirit is most deeply known to us when he actually directs our attention back to Jesus. So if you have any anxiety right now about do I have the Spirit in my life, um, the answer to that question is do you look at Jesus? Do, do you love Jesus? Do you, do you admire and, and long to be with him? If, if, if you have even a, a whisper of a yes, that's the Spirit pointing you back. That's what the Spirit does. He points you again and again back to Jesus. Um, The spirit is kind of a deflecting of attention and he wants to deflect it back to him. Um, And so so how do we persevere, brothers and sisters? By the spirit, we we look and long for the return of Christ, the third advent. Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Um, and, And I will just confess to you, um, I've struggled with this. Some of you, maybe you're with me in this, like you went through the left behind dispensationalism, like just like Christ coming again just kind of became like, what are we talking about? Like, <laughs> but, but can I just offer you, let, let's just go back to basics, right? The hope, 
Christ will come again. Um, this Christ will come again. Uh, the Spirit helps me see and long for the Christ who will return again to make all things new. Um, think about this. Christ will come again. You should long for that because the Christ who's going to return, it's the same Christ who healed Bartimaeus on the side of the road. He's coming again. The same Christ who healed the bleeding woman, who raised from the dead the son of the widow of Nain and restored him to her. The same Christ who wept over Lazarus and over Jerusalem. The same Christ who restored the woman caught in adultery. The same Christ that found Zacchaeus in a tree and transformed his life. The same Christ who confronts Paul on the road to Damascus and, and changes his life. The same Christ who came to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and spoke to them. And afterwards their hearts burned within them because of the presence of God. That same Christ, brothers and sisters, same Christ, he will come again. And he will fill us with joy and peace he will come and set all things right. Um, and so that's how we persevere in hope. We know that that Christ will return. Um, hear the words. This is Tish Harrison Warren as we close. Um, she speaks about this in her book on Advent, which I'd highly recommend to you. Um, she says, and I'm sorry I don't have it in your outline. I'll, I can get it to you if you want it. She says, we celebrate that Christ came in his, in his incarnation and find comfort in how he comes to us in our daily lives. But all of our longings meet their end in Christ's coming again, bringing healing peace, joy, and an unimaginable wholeness in his wake. The final return of Christ, hear this. The final return of Christ is the undoing of cancer. It is the utter dismantling of white supremacy and racism. It is the delivery of justice for the victimized, for the weakest and most vulnerable, whom the powerful have brutalized with seeming impunity. It is the regeneration of the dead coral reefs. It is the end of global pandemics. It is the vindication of those falsely imprisoned. It is the weeping of children giving away to their eternal laughter. It is the death of death. That's how we persevere in hope, brothers and sisters. We know that Christ will come again. So it is possible, return back to where we began, leave here knowing it is possible to be a person of hope because we have a God of hope. We have a God of hope who will meet you wherever you are this week. He will meet you in your hard marriage. He will meet you where you're working among the poor. He will meet you as you try to parent your difficult kid. He will meet you as you minister to a sick loved one. He'll meet you in the phase of life you thought you'd never be in. He will meet you in your weakness this week, brothers and sisters. So, so this is a perfect time to go to the Lord's table because we need to receive from him to have hope. So I just invite you as we go to the table, it's appropriate now to, as we go um, to just take a moment in your hearts. Where have you not, where have you doubted? Confess, where have you doubted that, that he would be with you, that you can receive from him? Confess it to him and then turn and say, Lord, Lord, I want to receive from you. So just take a moment in your heart before the Lord as we go to the Lord's table.